This week on our podcast for Beneath, it's a special episode. We'll be talking with Blake Best and Joshua Adams from Freddy vs. Jason Dreamscape. They're coming to get you, Barbara. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. The unburied dead are coming back to life. Blake, how's it going? It's going well. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Josh, how you doing? Doing awesome. Doing awesome. And Mr. Poe, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm not going to act like we don't talk all the time, though. Yeah, We're always yeah. texting and everything. <laughs> so yeah. you know how I am. <laughs> I know how you're doing. Yeah. All right, so uh, first question, just to get uh, break the ice and get everything out, um, out in the open here. Uh, Blake, favorite horror movie? Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> Josh, favorite horror movie? Favorite horror movie? Uh, I don't know. Tough one. Yeah. That is a hard... We ask people this all the time, and it is a hard question, even for us, because there's so many great I'll ones. I'll just say Nightmare on Elm Street. There you go. <laughs> okay. The, the, the default answer is usually Halloween, but... Uh, what? That's no, what? Nightmare on Elm Street is my favorite film. That's the movie yeah. that inspired me to write. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I, oh, go ahead. Since, since you since you wrote it, Freddy vs. Jason Dreamscape. Um, what made you want to do a Freddy vs. Jason movie? Uh, well, I got the opportunity to write it through Cody. He had um, posted a thing on his Facebook page about how, oh, how would you guys like to see me in a fan film of Freddy vs. Jason? And um, I just wrote a comment saying, oh, I'd love to see that, and I'd love to write it. Not thinking anything of it. He then private messaged me later saying, hey, are you a writer? I'm like, well, yeah, as a hobby. I mean, I went to school for and stuff, but I mean, you know, and it's like, oh, well, do you think you can write that? Like, write a Freddy vs. Jason film for me? I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I'll put together like a treatment for you and if you like it, you know, whatever. I didn't think much of it. And so I wrote them three different versions, like what would be like the, you know, the first like five, six pages of the script. I says, which one do you like? And he picked the one he liked. So I started writing it and I wrote about, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 pages. And next thing you know, you know, Blake contacts me and we get to talk and we wind up becoming best friends after a few days. Just, you know, it's like, the brother I never knew I had. And, um, and then he started helping me out with the whole process, creative process, since he's was very knowledgeable of the franchise and stuff of Nightmare on Elm Street. And for me, as a fan of Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, you know, like everyone, I love Fravor's Jason, the one that came out in 2003. But for me, I always felt like Fravor's Jason should be an event film. And this is a culmination of two huge franchises that spans, you know, 20 to 30 years. And you have this all this mythology um, and characters. And when I saw Free vs. Jason, it, it just the only, you didn't care about any of the human characters, like any of the kids. They're just, you know, cannon fodder for Jason and Freddy. I mean, it was just the focus was Freddy and Jason fighting. Plus, I was always disappointed that Kane Hodder wasn't in the film like a lot of fans were it just when I thought of Freddy vs. Jason, I was thinking Jason from the last four movies against Robert England's Freddy. And so Kane Hodder. And, um, it just, there's just a lot of little things after time. I was like, I don't know. I just feel like this is, it should be something more. So when talking to Blake about it, the um, ideas and the whole thing was, let's really make this feel like a continuation of Jason goes to hell and Freddy's dead where those left off. Like as, you know, back in 97 when Rob Bottin, the effects guy behind the howling, the thing, when he was going to write and direct Previous Jason, you know, the idea is like it was going to be a continuation of that. And, you know, let's try and make it feel like a real event. So, you know, bringing back characters from both franchises, uh, bringing back a lot of that mythology in those earlier films, like really make it feel like a true like epic thing between these two franchises 
And that was like really the driving force. And then of course, through the whole process of writing it, I would uh, post, you know, stuff for all my friends and like fans of the films. Like, how would you guys feel about, you know, if Nancy Thompson was to come back in some way or Alice Johnson and her son Jacob from four and five. And, you know, how would you guys feel like if I was to kind of bring back that storyline with Creighton Duke from Jason Goes to Hell and, all these little things and you know the fans were loving it you know i was getting messages all the time saying oh yeah that'd be so cool and and stuff and uh it just kind of all went from there and blake was very awesome with the whole process of you know i'd send him pages a couple of days at a time so what do you think of this what do you think of this and you know he loved it and very supportive and very awesome collaboration with him and it just built our friendship even more and uh, so once the script was all done, you know, he just, everyone loved it. So I was like, sweet. And then of course I had to be really good about not, cause I'm very, um, when I write, I have the tendency to just pull like a Stephen King and just write, 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 write. Next thing you know, you know, sometimes only meant to be like 90 pages, winds up being like 300 pages. So he kept having like, I was like, okay, let's, let's, you know, let's try and pull it back a little bit and not have it get too big. Originally it was going to be really huge. like try and bring as many characters from both franchises back as I could and stuff. And, but I was, I was good about just saying, okay, we'll just do this. And maybe in the sequel or something, we'll bring more people back. So. All right, I think speaking of, I think we have someone trying to get in here now. So let me, oh, uh, all right. Cody. Let me get in here and see who we got. <laughs> it's a mystery guess. It's just come up as headphones. So. <laughs> if they can hear us. Uh, it's connecting. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's just, uh, Blake, how did you get involved in it, in this film? I was contacted by Cody. Uh, he had brought to my attention, it was the first week of February. Um, I was already planning convention appearances and getting my convention schedule booked. Uh, but, uh, other than this, uh, my main job is I am uh, the best-selling author of Razor's Edge, which was a Freddy Krueger origin novel that I wrote in 2008. And 14 that was published in 2016 and that's actually the next film on our docket is to uh is to go ahead and do that one so i've written that book and, and you know it sold out and then i started working on the within which was another horror novel which was not freddie related uh and then i worked on uh, behind the screams which is a non-fiction book with mick strong which is a collaboration between he and i on the making of nightmare four and got all the photos 10,000 photos from the archive of all the actors actresses and and all that basically it's explaining how the movie was made some of the things they had to go through in order to make sure that it was uh, completed on time. So I had been busy doing between three books and being an actor and touring in a, in a uh, assigned metal band. I was um, busy like all the time. So once I retired from the music side of things like touring, I had more time to focus on film stuff and, and doing, uh, you know, writing and uh, you know, all that stuff. So, I had already started booking stuff, so I ended up pushing off some appearances and, and, and uh, not booking certain things so I could go ahead and start work on this uh, this film. They uh, they came to me with this script, you know. Um, first, Cody asked me if I wanted to be, if I would consider being the executive producer, and he said, well, you've got a lot of connections in the business. You're friends with Robert Engel, you're friends with all the cash. You go do all these shows and stuff, and you've got a lot of knowledge, and you're very savvy about Nightmare on Elm Street. We would like someone with that kind of skill set for this film, would you consider doing it? And I said, well, I'll think about it, you know, and I thought about it for a little bit. And then I said, sure. And then he put me in touch with Josh. Josh and I talked through Messenger and email for a few days. And then we had our, our first real phone conversation a couple of weeks after that, so mid-February. Um, stayed on the phone for something like two or three hours straight talking about the film and talking about what, what our plans and our uh, passions were for it and how we could see it going and and then just talk general stuff about what films we liked, what we liked about the characters. And, and uh, I think at that point, you know, it was pretty much set in stone that the three of us were going to be working together for the foreseeable future as, as much as possible. So um, that's sort of how it, how it came along. And I offered my services as far as a, a composer is concerned. So I said, I'll not only do the executive producing and the uh, consultant job for the Freddy Krueger side of things, but I'll also compose for the film as well. That way, you know, we have uh, a full creative process. We've got 
executive producer, we've got writer, we've got director, we've got actors, and hey. you know, for the main two monster roles, the two villains, you know, Freddie and Jason, and then we've got the composing side of things completed. So we already had everything in the lined up for that as far as um, production wise is concerned. And then Cody already has a special effects team, and, and you know, uh, all these different uh, costumes and makeup effects because he's known as one of the premier Jason cosplayers in the country. There's been features on him all over. He's been on the guest on our wrestling shows and, and all kinds of stuff as the Jason Voorhees character. So he already came into this project with all of that stuff completed. You know, the costume, the makeup effects, the team to design things and, and locations and, and all that. And it just it came together so quickly. And then everyone started getting really excited about it. And we thought, well, this is a fan film, of course. You know, it's going to be crowdfunded. Um, you know, and all the, the funds from the, you know that we raise are going to go into this film, and and that's for production, special effects, because we're going all practical. There's not going to be any of that CGI stuff with this film. I'm a student of practical effects. Most of my friends in the business are practical effects artists that work on the nightmare films, and you know the Howling and Tremors, and you know so on and so forth. So I'm from like the golden age of the second golden age of special effects. You know, the 1980s up through the the early to mid 90s there. So. Um, I was like, I want practical stuff. So we had all that stuff set out, and then pretty much it took on a life of its own. We launched the campaign, and uh, immediately backers started joining in. We go, we had a lot of perks. We still have perks and stuff, and we're all the time adding new things and and doing lots of live videos. Uh, both Cody and Josh have been super um, consistent with um, getting on there and doing videos. I get on there every day and do something. I'm actually positive that the backers and fans are probably tired of seeing me, but. Um, <laughs> this is my job you know being an executive producer there's a lot that comes in with that and it's a it's a real honor and privilege to have that job on this production yo yeah i think cody's trying to join us now is yeah cody. You, cody i'm trying cody. to i'm just having some difficulty okay, that's Talk fine that's fine stop it cody stop being <laughs> can you all hear me yeah we can hear I you can. yes sir yeah. okay good deal so, Cody, you are the director, correct? Yes. And you are playing? Jason Voorhees, yes. All right. Jason. Okay. Well, the question you missed at the beginning was, what's your favorite horror movie? Of all time or um, yeah. slash? All time. All time. God. You know, I was watching our video um, last night, and I got to thinking that to myself because there's so many for me I like, you know. And um, I love Exorcist. That's, that or Exorcist Hell 3 yeah. is probably my favorite. Exorcist 3 is an awesome movie. Love Exorcist <laughs> very, very underrated. I love it. That's why I was going to say it's very underrated. And uh, the acting in it's brilliant with George C. Scott, you know. And, um, and yeah, him, William, him, Peter him, Black, the William him and the priest. Directed it. Yeah, it's, it's pro that's probably my favorite one. It's just a brilliant film. Just, you know, um, all the way around, you know, terrifying and, you know, good acting. And so it's, it's that's probably it. All right, so I'll just throw this question out to everybody. What's the, what do you think is the best um, Friday 13th film? We we just done an episode on Friday 13th about our favorite ones. So oh, what's your favorite okay. Friday 13th? Um, God, it's, you know what? It's, it's between six and seven because I love both them. And I probably have to pick seven because of that's the <laughs> introduction, the Kane's um, portrayal of Jason and um, – probably um and just uh i think john beekler did an awesome job with like the effects and everything in it so blake what's your favorite well it's actually a toss-up i really love kane i do very much he's a great guy so it's a toss-up I, I can't really say one of it i think as far as effects go um probably uh part seven the new blood but as far as just the kills are concerned uh, probably uh, Friday the 13th part four because Ted White did some amazing work and there was just that Axel's head twist and the, the hacksaw to the throat the bone saw that just it, it wasn't done like that anytime after that that was like the only film that had a kill as gruesome as that for that particular kind of death a broken neck on top of having your throat cut with a you know a, a bone saw <laughs> right yeah yeah Josh what's your favorite um, I'm the odd man out. I like Jason Goes to Hell the best. <laughs> what what what'd you like? Not, that's that's not odd. I mean, Jason Goes to Hell is a. I I thought it was cool when it first came out, and um, that was one of my 
my things is whenever they did have Freddy versus Jason, I mean, we got teased by that face off, yeah. you know, at the very end of Jason goes to hell. And that's exactly. what we wanted to see. And I, I, I watched y'all's uh, Indiegogo trailer and I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's exactly, I think that's what y'all are going for. If I'm yeah. mistaken. No, definitely Jason goes to hell. Jason goes to hell and a nightmare on Elm street are actually, I saw those at just the right age. Cause I was about 14 and I had watched them both. And those were what planted the seed of um, getting the writing and learning about film as far as like how to write screenplay, you know, cause I, you know, I went online and was able to look up the scripts and read them. I was like, that's what I want to do. So I wound up basically teach myself how to write. And then when I went to school, um, I took some film classes on screenwriting and stuff like that. But those two films are very like, those are the movies that got me into it and stuff. And then for a long time, I never understood the hate for Jason Goes to Hell. It wasn't until like later, it's like, well, you know, Jason's not really in it that much. But I mean, the, <laughs> the special, the K and B's effects in that movie, in my opinion, are still probably some of the best practical effects I'd of all Friday films. I'd have to agree. And I hate to say because I'm going to sound so weird, but that was my first introduction to on-screen sexual intercourse and the way that it ended <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. was the most disturbing thing for a 10-year-old child to see. Yeah. I was certain. It, it kind of gives new meaning to the term running a train, basically. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> can you all see Yeah, we can see <laughs> Sorry, you, you set yourself up for that. Yes, yes. I did <laughs> Now, it takes a lot to make me blush. I can't believe it. <laughs> What's funny is because Adam Marcus, he had that wasn't supposed to be in the movie, like that sex scene. What's really in it? Studio wanted well, Michelle to, Clooney and the guy she was doing it with were a, a couple that had broken yeah, up. Yeah, they were them. actually they had just <laughs> broken up prior to filming that movie. <laughs> And he didn't know that till later, but yeah, no, that scene was the studio because originally it was just we we're going to get the tease of the girl in the shower in the beginning, and that was yeah. it because he didn't want to have any nudity in it. And that, that um, but the studio was, wanted it, oh, so they and it just yeah, it's certainly probably one of the most gratuitous sex scenes I've probably <laughs> yeah when I was fourteen watching like <laughs> but you know the, <laughs> my the, poor little mind. The chick in the shower, she's like a stunt woman. She was like in like um, what was it? A uh, point roadhouse. She was in Roadhouse and Point Break. She was in Roadhouse. Yeah, I didn't recognize her with the, the dark hair. Yeah, yeah, the doing the the lap dance. In yeah, the bar. So, Cody, how did you get started in uh, directing? Directing. Uh, this will be my first. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? This will be your first. Well, this this got started. <laughs> so it was this movie that got you started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what made you decide to, that you wanted to direct this film? Um, I've just always, you know, had a, a passion, love for. Um, always wanted to, you know, give it a try, and um, you know, I think I can um, take it into the direction that we're all, you know, you know, hoping and you know, it's going to be, so just have to, um, just, um, see what happens. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess everybody starts somewhere there, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm excited you, about somebody I'm just excited. started directing, he certainly knows what he wants because that Facebook video that he put up talking about what won't be tolerated on the set. I was like, look at him having a little gone away. All I know is my my hats off to you because of the stories. I mean, we talk to other directors and everything, and people are, are part of making movies, and it always fascinates me. And then I hear of all the you know stories and headaches and everything, and and they actually get it out there. And I mean, that's just awesome. I mean, just a I guess the the key is persistence, as they say. What would you um, like? Do you hope that uh, Robert England or Kane Hodder or somebody sees this film? Would that, that would be, be awesome. would that just be like the greatest thing ever? <laughs> that would be the greatest thing ever. I'm sure they will. Yeah, that would be awesome. Kane knows who I am, so. <laughs> oh, does he? Okay. Yeah, I've met him at a convention one time. He's he's a really he's a really cool guy. Robert's always been extremely supportive of my work. I've known Robert for 24 years. Oh, really? 
yeah, I started out that, that whole interaction really young. Um, I, uh, come from an abusive home and, you know, a broken home. So I was always trying to find ways to get out of that. So, uh, I, a letter I wrote to him was published in the newspaper and they actually were somehow able to put us in contact with each other. And, uh, we stayed in contact for many years and then I went and did my own thing and then came back into the fold and started working in the horror business. And it was like, Robert never forgot who I was. I mean, he, every time I see him, it's first name basis with him. And, and, uh, when Razor's Edge came out, uh, he got the first copy, uh, uh, of it that was bound, um, like he'd present a script. And then, uh, when I saw him later, he was like, I can't wait to see more of you out here. I love you. I have to tell you, I love everything you're doing and it's good to see you out here again. And he's always been so receptive when my wife was at a show with me and, and uh, was coming up to talk to him, uh, security grabbed her because she came off the elevator and they thought she was some fan that was coming up to try to mob him. And Robert actually had to say, that's Blake's wife. You can totally put her down. It's fine. <laughs> you can put her down and she's fine. And Lisa Wilcox was like, I, I've known Blake for years. That's his wife. She's great. She's a great person. You don't have to worry about her. Just, you know, everybody's up there telling these security guys to put her, put her down. Tuesday night's up there and Amanda Wiss and, and um, uh, so many, uh, Miko Hughes, uh, Ricky Dean Logan, Danny Hassel, the whole, the whole, uh, you know, Andres Jones are all up there. They're like, this Blake's wife, you can totally put her down. They weren't aware because they didn't see her come up with me. So they were just doing their jobs. They apologized after, and I was like, it's really no big deal, guys. You were doing your job, you know? All right. Now, have you – That's just a good person Robert is, you know? Have you thought about reaching out to any one of them and see if they wanted to maybe do a cameo or anything? Uh, No, I I did tell Lisa that we were um, featuring the Alice character in the film, but – you know, they're all so busy. And now, of course, with everything current event, why yeah, so many conventions right, have yeah. been canceled and stuff because yeah. of the coronavirus thing. And there's not a lot of travel and stuff happening, you know, as far as that kind of thing is concerned. But they're all so busy. But, you know, it's – I can, it just the, – the support they give, you know, even though they can't be here and do it in person, the support they give is, is totally worth every, every bit. It's enough, you know. All right. Mm-hmm. Really. All right. So, Josh and Cody, what would it be like to – for, you know, you to kill Freddy, dressed as Freddy, you know, kill Robert England, and then you kill Kane Hodder in the movie dressed, you know, as you're, you're playing Jason. <laughs> <laughs> or vice versa, whoever you want to kill. Oh, yeah. yeah. That'd be like going full circle. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That'd be cool. Uh, Aaron, you got any questions for him? Uh, no, I mean, I've just been chiming in uh, with a couple of them, like, like I said, with the you know, the trailer I saw, it just looks like something we all been waiting for because it's been teased. And then when we actually got it, I kind of feel the same way as you, Joshua, is like, this could be so much more, <laughs> you know, when it when it first came yeah. out. And um, yeah, I feel I feel exactly the same way. I'm excited to see more, you know, what, what this movie's going to have. I mean, um, and of course, I want to read those books that you have out there, Blake, because I mean, it, it's just... You know, talking with fans of this, it looks like y'all are going to do a great job. Well, I have to give all the credit in the world to this team. Uh, Josh and and, and, uh, Cody are like family to me. They've been so supportive. They've been, uh, you know, to ask me to be a part of this. And, I mean, they were very, very um, understanding about knowing my schedule, you know, because of all the conventions and doing all the, you know, all the stuff I do in the the industry. They're very, very patient with me when I can't, um, when I can't get back with them as quickly as I would like. But, um they just, uh, Josh is a brilliant writer. I really think that um, this is going to be the love letter that fans have been waiting for since there was talk of a Freddy versus Jason in the late eighties, since 1988. And then Cody, <laughs> um, he puts on that, that, uh, that uh, Jason uh, prosthetics and the, and the costumes and all the incredible work that he helps do himself. I mean, not only does he wear all that stuff, but he helps design it and put it together. And he, he puts it on. He's a force to be reckoned with. I have been choked by this man. Okay. Um, <laughs> And uh, he will kick your ass, I'm just saying. And that's exactly how you want your Jason. But both of them outside of the costumes and the movie ma- and the movie magic uh, are two of the most nice, affable, genuine people that I've ever met. And it's another reason why I love working in this business. Because getting to meet people like that makes it all worthwhile because you know how they are. But when you see them put on the, to go to work, when you see them work, uh, they get so invested in the characters, and I mean, 
if you haven't seen the makeup tests and stuff on the Facebook page for both of them, I encourage you to drop by and see them. It's, it is so incredible. Uh, as somebody that's known the cast and has been in the business as long as I have, it is incredible to see how amazing they both look and how their personalities uh, work so well together. This is going to be one hell of a film, and it's going to leave the fans with their jaws on the floor, uh, uh, provided they drop them themselves and Jason doesn't slash their jaws off. <laughs> you know right. how overzealous Mr. Voorhees can get. You know, right. he, he speaks softly and carries a big ass machete. So, um. <laughs> now, Josh, you kind of touched you kind of touched on this earlier, but I'll go ahead and ask you again, and then get Cody involved. Was there is there anything about the Freddy versus Jason that you didn't really care for that you would like to maybe correct or do right in your in your your version? Uh, well, first and foremost, obviously have, you know, like a Kane Hodder-esque Jason. I mean, that's what he gets Ken Kazurger's performance. I mean, you know, the director gave him a job as far as like what they wanted. Um, but, you know, I'd rather see Hodder's Jason or, yeah. you know, like what Cody's bringing, you know, just that, you know, force to be reckoned with. And you'll see in the film that, you know, and I, there are some little nods to the 2003 film, little quips that I had to throw in there. Um, you guys will get it when you see it, but, um, you know, but, you know, Cody is like perfect as far as like, that's the Jason that we need, especially since now he's Jason from Jason goes to hell in the film, which is in my opinion, that was my favorite look too. You know, he just this behemoth and, um, you know, and just, and then of course having their, be more Jason. I also felt with the 2003 film, it was like, it was a Freddy film, you know, new line. That's, you know, Freddy is their baby. So of course he got to have the limelight and Jason was just kind of like a glorified cameo in the film. Yeah. Um, so I always felt like, even though Jason got to kill the most people in it, it just felt like he didn't get nearly as much attention or even, as much respect as the character probably deserved. And I just felt like also with this film, let's try and give him a little bit more attention, explore a little bit more the backstory, you know, maybe try and have some fun with how he actually got resurrected in the first place and stuff like that. And just, you know, and if you guys weren't aware, you know, Pamela Voorhees will be in this oh, in some cool. capacity. Um, we're going to really try and bring back a lot of earlier things with the mythology and try and correct a nice little puzzle where everything connects together right. Cody anything you would like to like change or correct that you didn't like in the uh, original uh, I agree with Josh a lot what he said um, I, I, you know I'm bringing to the to this film the Kane Hodder type of Jason that you know all the fans wanted to see you know years ago so that right there, and just like with Ken Kurtzinger, I just, you know, it, I don't think it fit. He didn't, I don't think he fit that role, but that's what they was looking for. Definitely didn't like his look. Um, so, um, well, the biggest thing is in this film, we're, a lot of fans cried out, or they, the, the biggest complaint about Jason Goes to Hell was um, that he wasn't in it enough. And that look was so awesome looking. Just he had the deformed head knot stuff. That they was like, we wanted more of him. So this film, we're going to see more of that look. Because I look identical to the film, you know. Mm -hmm. nice, and nice. Uh, so we're all going to be able to see that, that look throughout this whole film. So, yeah, that's what we're going to bring to the to this. So, And uh, you were saying, uh, Blake, I mean, uh, I guess you're going to have a lot of practical effects in this. I know we all enjoy that instead of CGI, is there going to be any kind of CGI or is it just all practical ones? Um, not as far as, as far as I'm concerned, um, there won't be any, if, if at all possible, because to me, um, seeing it happen in front of your eyes is a completely unique feeling. Like you could see a film today. I'll talk, I'll mention it just because it's a point of contention, the remake of Nightmare on the Street, mm -hmm. the whole sequence where the face gets pushed through the wall, that effect, cost Jim Doyle $10 in the original film. He used um, spandex, pushed his face through it. He stood on some apple crates outside of the window. <laughs> took him 15 to 20 minutes to do that shot and cost him 10 bucks at the hardware store to buy the materials for the, uh, the, the 2010 film. 
cost them no telling how many thousands to do that. And I yeah. looked at it and I knew it was computer generated the moment that I laid eyes on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just bad CGI too. <laughs> yeah. Just, well, a lot of a lot of stuff is image of the two. I really think there can be a good marriage of the two, but for me, the effects artists that I know in the business that I'm friends with are Nick Benson, or William Forrest, you know, they did the howling, they did uh, Brighter Reanimator, they did Tremors, they did Nightmare 4, they did all these films, and then Steve Johnson, and, uh, you know, uh, just Kevin Yeager, and all the all the greats, um, Rob Bottin, uh, Rick Baker, uh, and to me, like, the, there's one film that encapsulates it for me, it's not a Freddy film, but just in general, practical effects, uh, American Werewolf in London watching the werewolf transformation happen mm-hmm. that could not be done with cgi today and you not know it was not cgi well they, right. they tried it in american werewolf in paris oh, yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny what's funny is uh the last episode we had we were talking about uh movies that you have to have in quarantine and <laughs> that was carrie's uh um, werewolf movie the the american werewolf in london my favorite and he one. always gives me shit because i love the howling <laughs> I, I I prefer the howling over. Me America. too. Thank you. Thank you. As far as com- composing, the composing standpoint, I like the music in Silver Bullet a lot better than I do in the Howling. You know, oh, because I come from the composing side. Oh know, yeah, mm-hmm. Silver Bullet is just awesome. That that yeah. movie is great. That's my favorite. Yeah. Where I actually movie. just I actually just watched that the other day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that movie. Gary Busey playing Gary Busey. Yeah. What is it he says? The are we playing? The Hardy Boys meet Reverend Werewolf? Yeah. <laughs> I, whenever I watch that movie, the whole movie is fantastic. But then once when they do the reveal of the wolf at the end, like the climax, yeah. I always just kind of just. <laughs> it looks like, looks like a big bear. It looks like a guy in a big teddy bear suit. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really does. It just looks like a guy in a teddy bear suit. Yeah, it looks yeah, like, it like, like a big bear. Like, I just want to give him a hug. <laughs> you know whereas you think of like the werewolf and the howling oh man the werewolf in a in a american werewolf you know that thing looks like nightmare fuel you know those worlds then you look at the one in silver bullet just like a big teddy bear <laughs> when i first saw the howling that did scare the shit i mean i, I, mean, I was real young when that came out and when i saw that transformation you know like you know, my eyes are just like, holy shit. And I'm like, I wouldn't want to be in that room. <laughs> right. No, the werewolf yeah. in that movie is amazing. Oh, yeah, man. It's definitely probably one of my favorites. Another really great werewolf, though, was in uh, The Howling 4. I mean, you only see it for about a minute. It was the one that, you know, Steve Johnson and Bill Forsh did. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it looks like some kind of a weird, like, hellhound-looking thing. Like a cross between a werewolf and a bat. But you only see it for about a minute. But that thing is so cool looking. It's like that's if I saw that in the woods, it scared the crap out of me. But you only see it for about a minute in that. Yeah, film, it's unfortunate so. because Bill Forsh is a really, really close friend of mine, and he's the one that did all the practical yeah. makeup application on Robert in Nightmare Four and the stuntman too. Like he did so many different effects in Nightmare Four, and mm-hmm. he went on to do the Howling. And most of the props that I own are from him because he just sends them to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I have one more thing about Friday Thirteenth, and then we'll, then we'll move on and talk about Nightmare on Elm a little bit. Um, so, in Jason Goes to Hell, the Necronomicon shows up. Would you want to do Ash versus Jason? Because <laughs> now those universes are connected <laughs> because it's in there. <laughs> I guess not. All right, moving on. <laughs> well, well I, was, I was waiting for someone to answer. Okay. <laughs> No one wants to touch it. Move on. Without no, no. Um, if you guys, I don't know, Blake, is it on there as part of the perks as far as like props? Um, if you, the Necronomicon and the Kendarian Dagger both are very prominent in our film. Nice. Okay. Cool. So I do acknowledge that. Very. Actually, I spoke to Adam Marcus quite a bit on that, just to make sure that okay before I even consider including this stuff in the script. Can you kind of fill me in? Is this like legit what you're trying to do with Jason Goes to Hell with this stuff? Or or was it just a sight gag? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. So he filled me in and I was like, okay, sweet. So I threw them in there and I tried to, because I always thought, uh, especially after I, because I hadn't seen Evil Dead when I saw Jason Goes to Hell for the first time. It wasn't until later I saw Evil Dead and I was like, 
saw the, the Necronomicon. I'm looking, I'm like, wait a second, isn't that the book from Jason Goes to Hell? And then the tag, <laughs> wait, isn't that the tag? So then I went back and watched Jason Goes to Hell, and yeah, and it was. And I also think it's funny because um, the crate from Creep Shows in that movie, too, is in the basement. Yeah. Yeah, it says Julia Hicks, Hornets University on it. Yeah. Yeah, right. which I really wish that thing had jumped out at some point. That would have been <laughs> freaking amazing. <laughs> Maybe right, those so were just the, nods or something, you know? That could Maybe be. Yeah. Um, so what's everybody's favorite uh, Nightmare on Elm Street film? Uh, Josh, you can go first since you're playing Freddy. <laughs> um, excluding the original because that's obviously number one. Um, as far as the sequels go, I'll also exclude New Nightmare because those two films are like their own. I have to make it all complicated. Those right. two are like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are perfect. So as far as the sequels, you know, two through six, um, the order would be four, five, two, three, and then six. Blake, I actually really like four and five a lot. Those are probably my favorites of the sequels. Blake, what's your favorite one? Uh, again, I'm gonna have to join the I'm gonna have to join the um, the the Josh Club and say outside of the original <laughs> as far as sequels, um, <laughs> as far as sequels part four, um, because most of my friends and, and the cast of everyone I know worked on that I'm friends with worked on Nightmare One and Nightmare Four. Um, some worked on three, but but uh, as far as four, four was the first one that I ever owned on a video that was a sequel. So I feel like a special sort of connection to that one, you know. All right, Cody. How about you? Well, besides the first one, because that's everybody <laughs> their favorite, and uh, probably part, part two. I love part two. You like part two? I'm not surprised no one said the remake, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with Cody. Part two is is awesome, especially when Freddy goes and wrecks the party, and <laughs> that's my yeah. favorite scene the whole movie. Right? It's, it's awesome, man. Part, part two was def- part two is definitely the best. Freddy of all the films, one through New Nightmare. Kevin Yeager's work in Nightmare 2 is probably the best. All the little details that we're going to try and bring back in this one as far as the look of Freddy all the way down to the contacts that Robert wore in that film, um, where it's like almost like the flame. I know like that. Reddish-orange type contacts. We're going to be trying nice. to do that too. And then, of course, the teeth and everything else, like all these little details we're going to try and bring back from that one because that really is he's certainly the scariest looking in that film now do you wish and of course this would be a question for everybody do you wish that they wouldn't have made uh it's so campy in the later like made him try to be funny and the one-liners do you wish they wouldn't have done that or are you happy with the fact that it went campy in the later movies um well it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Like in one end, I mean, Robert is such a fantastic actor and he's very witty and he's very, his uh, timing is so good. It's awesome. But yeah, but then on the downside to that, the moment, it was like that combination of so many things, you know, cause part four was so successful and it really, it was like that MTV, gener- MTV generation, you know, they, I mean, and then they had the TV show you know, they had the kids' pajamas and the, you know, the, the yeah. little toy, you know, yeah. stuff. And mm-hmm. he, he was just everywhere. So it, a lot of the fear and the mystique that he had in those early films, like one through three, you know, where he was in the shadows a lot. And, you know, it, he wasn't quite so exposed. You know, once they got away yeah. from that, you know, it really started to take a lot away from him. He wasn't quite so scary anymore. And then, of course, in part five, they tried to go back to that. The problem is, is Freddie himself stayed the same. He was, he was actually even more ridiculous than he was in part four and even more over the top, but the film itself was, so I would tell Blake, it's like, it was almost the perfect film because it was dark and Gothic, which I love. Like the first like 15, 20 minutes of that movie was near perfect. Like when he gets resurrected in the church and like the lighting, the imagery and everything was awesome. And then all of a sudden it, they decide, oh, wait, maybe we're not going to go this dark. And they go back to the comedic stuff where he's talking about better not, you know, scream and drive and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And um, him dressing up like a chef, even though that scene is pretty disturbing. 
and stuff. But um, and then of course the Super Freddy. They really yeah. went over the top <laughs> with Super Freddy. Yeah. They're going back to the chef though. scene though. That that scene there where he stabs the meatball, like that, like just <laughs> almost ruined pizza for me. <laughs> oh, in part four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, See, Rick, what? you taste a little meatball. Yeah. <laughs> one, one of my, I don't, I guess it's already a problem, but one thing that I've always thought about was the, how it, the character became so likable in, yeah. you know, in the later films. But then you think back and you're like, he was originally like, you know, a child murderer. And then exactly. now everybody's like raising him up as like this, you know, iconic, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know hero exactly. or something. <laughs> exactly. Like I say, going back to that whole thing about how there's like, you know, kid pajamas and, you know, the, the, the toys, like little kid toys. And yeah. it's like, at the end of the year, like, wait, this guy was like a child killer and probably yeah. a child molester <laughs> too. And it just, it, especially as an, you know, as an adult, as a parent myself, it's just like, it's just, it's just weird. And a lot of it's just because of Robert himself. He's so charismatic. You can't help but like him. Right. Yeah. And, um, but that was one of the big things too, when it came when I was writing this like early on was, you know, like I know what works best as far as the character, what fans really like, which is those first like one, two and three, that darker, scarier ready. And at one point I was like, should I not have him do any humor at all? Should I just have him be just straight, you know, scary. But then I was like, well, I need to have some of his wit because that's part of who he is. That, that kind of, snide wit and stuff but then it was my idea then was okay let's make his jokes be so crude and disgusting that you feel kind of gross for laughing at him like you kind of feel bad about it like it's like ew that's like really nasty so the whole goal is to try and bring him back to a much more nastier just meaner version of who he was in those first few films you know really crude like he does do some little wit and jokes but it's very nasty and very, yeah. as Blake would say, it's very, very disturbing. <laughs> yeah. But another thing I was wondering too is like, I know there was a problem with um, some of the Friday 13th fan films as far as rights. Is that still a big issue or with, you know, the some of the independent films being, um, I guess, you know, the studios putting a stop to it? Like, how are you getting, how, how do you get past like new lines saying, hey, you, you can use our character? You want me to take this one, Josh? Sure. Well, I am um, after this. I'm probably going to have to get off here, gentlemen. I've got a, something I got to go take care of. I didn't know how long the show was going to be, but I wanted to make sure oh. that I was here. <laughs> yes, sir. I took a good chunk of it so I could discuss uh, discuss things. But first, I agree with Josh. I do think you know on a different subject that um, uh, going back to the dark roots is important. I don't think we should ever lose the humor. I think if he was stayed dark too long, people would have grown tired of him, and he wouldn't have been as culturally iconic and as recognized and as memorable as a as he is because he's a monster with a, with a personality. I mean, nothing against Jason. I love Cody and I love Jason, but Jason is a man of very few words, <clears throat> no words. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, the same goes for Michael Myers, something about Freddie's personality. He relishes in the harm that he, uh, that he causes you. And, uh, and he's happy about it. And that's what makes you love him and hate him all the same, but you don't forget him. You know, certainly, I mean, you could show a kid a picture of Freddy and nine times out of 10, even today with kids that probably haven't watched all the films, they'll recognize the Freddy Krueger character. Um, you know, especially because of the, the look, the weapon, you know, he's got so much going for him. You know, Jason's got the hockey mask and machete. Freddy's got the burn up, disgusting face and the cool, you know, razor clawed glove and, you know, red and green and no longer Christmas colors now because of Freddy, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, but as far as the rights go, um, we made it clear there was a little bit of posturing in the community. I mean, something I experienced when I put out Razor's Edge, especially, um, you know, because fans, there's always going to be someone that says, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. I mean, it goes without saying, but um, and everybody's allowed to have their opinion. But as far as the fan film goes, that's exactly what this is. I mean, the way we get by that is we're not making a profit off this. I haven't been paid anything for this and won't be paid anything for this. This is a project that is a passion project. It's not something that, uh, we're taking uh, backers' money and we're going to squirrel it away and go take a trip. What we're doing is everything we're, we're getting as far as this campaign is going is going into uh, production, the special effects, which are a huge part of this film, uh, set dressing, wardrobe for our, our, you know, some of our extras, um, 
camera equipment and post-production items like ADR looping and uh, editing software and, and having someone, you know, paying an editor to, to, to put the film together for us and then, you know, mixing and mastering um, the audio and, and things are all going into the production. And we've made that very, very clear um, when we started the campaign that we're not making anything off of this. I mean, Josh, I mean, isn't either. And he's got, he's had such a, a hard job. I mean, it's a, it's an important job writing the script and having to play the character, the Freddy character. That's a big, that's a big glove that, you know, he has to fill, you know, and he, um, he's doing it so well. And the same with, um, with Cody, um, you know, they, they both are taking on multiple roles in the film in order to, to make sure it gets done right. And, and one step further, Cody's actually putting up actors and actresses at his residence for the duration mm-hmm. of the film. And while they're there, I mean, that's, we're not making anything off of this. I mean, he's certainly not making anything. He's putting up all these actors and actresses at his own expense. Um, and then he's already started the production with an effects crew and effects team that does his work for his outfits and his makeup effects. So, so much has already been taken care of as far as that stuff goes. And, and um, you know, a good portion of the, of the uh, funds are going towards the, especially the effects because we're using so many practical effects. That was a point of contention. A lot of fans were like, I'll, I'll back it, but I don't want any computer-generated crap. I mean, they're very persistent about that, and I have to say I don't blame them uh, at all. I like to see it happen in front of my eyes, you know what I'm saying? And and I think practical is the uh, is the way to go. And, I mean, this is a passion project for all of us. We are fans before anything else. Before we we're professionals in the business, writers, actors, whatever we are, we're fans first, and that's why we want to bring a project to the masses that's something that they could be proud of, something they could be proud to support something that they'll want to remember for years and years and yeah we offer some perks you're right we do we have you know dvds but we're also streaming the film on youtube the dvds yeah. are for people that want to own just a copy so they can have watch parties with their friends and say hey i helped back this movie and now i have a copy of it check this out man you know and it's it's, it's so much of this is like going back into making the fans happy that's all our goal with this film is is to make the fans happy to have these uh, darker, grittier, edgier, gorier, blood-soaked, vengeance-filled meeting between these two cinematic maniacs, bringing together cohesively, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th fans, bringing them together so we can bring them one hell of a film, and that's what we're going to do. You want to give everybody the information on the, uh, is it you're on Kickstarter or Indiegogo? Indiegogo, right? Indiegogo. Um, the link, I don't actually have the link uh, where I can like send it to you right here, but we've been posting it like, every day consistently on our Facebook pages, on our Facebook page for the film, uh, which is Freddy versus Jason Dreamscape. That's how you can find it on Facebook. And um, uh, the campaign link is active. We've still got 24 days on it. And so far we're 22% funded as of this morning. Um, we are $2,200 into our $10,000 budget, which again, keeping with the spirit of the nightmare films in the early Friday the 13th, these films have got a very little but. I mean, Nightmare One had a budget of a million eight hundred thousand, and this film has got a budget of ten thousand. I mean, that's very ambitious for such an effects-laden script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll um I'll grab the links and put them like in the show notes and in the comments on this on this episode when it comes out. Oh, in sure. Uh, and I'm also going to go and everything. look at your perks and see what you get. I'm I'm <laughs> always like to pick up the DVDs of these uh, independent films whenever they're coming out. Um, we appreciate that. We appreciate you wanting to take time to go check it out. That's all we I ask. Know. I mean. If you can't, if you can't pick a park up, I know with the way that the, the climate politically and socially right now is askew, and people are, you know, jobs are an issue, you know, and, and there's just so much going on. We understand if you can't back it, but if you share it, sharing is just as good as backing. I mean, that's putting the word out and and uh, putting, you know, uh, the sound bites out for people to grab so that it can be shared because word of mouth is still very valid. I mean. Uh, word spreads, and it certainly has so far. It's spread like a fire in Freddy's boiler room. You know what I'm saying? It's, mm-hmm. it's been incredible. Well, I'm getting uh, apparently I'm getting money from Trump, so I'll use that to uh, <laughs> pick up a DVD. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Cody, where um, if if people want to get a hold of you, are you on social media? You want to give some info out there? Um, yeah, you can uh, find me on Facebook on um, just me, Cody Huskins. And um, I have a, I have a, a horror page called Huskins Horror Studios. You can find me on there, and I have an Instagram too, just Cody Huskins, and you can find me on there. So, all right, and Josh, how about you? 
Um, I have my Facebook page. It's uh, Joshua Adams. So that's it. Um, no Twitter. No Instagram. Nah. No, no, no Instagram, Snapchat. Yet. Come on, hey, he's writing a script. He doesn't have time for all that. Man. Yeah, I'm busy. Right. Yeah. Well, it was uh, it was great talking to all three of you. I'm really looking forward to this film. Like I said, I'm pretty sure I'll go out there and pick up the DVD perk once I get off. Once once we stop this episode, and I can get back on there. You know, Carrie, you didn't ask me about my links. I'm a little upset. Oh, I'm sorry. Where can they find you at? I was, I was just going to say, I do have a Twitter. I've got an Instagram and I've got a Facebook. So if you search my name on Facebook, you'll find me. Blake Best. It's pretty pretty simple. Uh, I very The mustache is a dead giveaway. You'll, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that way. On uh, Instagram, I am Blake Best Official. That's all you do is type that in. And on uh, Twitter, I am Blake Best. 1428 because what better place is there to be than 1428 elm street there you go and like i said it was a blast talking to all three of you like i said i can't wait for this movie it's really interesting and uh maybe when you get closer to completing the film you guys can come back on and give us some updates yeah absolutely, absolutely. i gotta say thank you to josh and cody for coming on and not leaving me up here to fend for myself <laughs> i appreciate it <laughs> uh, you would have uh, done fine without them <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry for being late. I had some problems there. Oh no, no, no. That's fine. I wasn't going to tell Jason to. I was mad oh, at you for being late. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. We'll talk oh, to you guys later. I tried to be mask if I could curse or not. I'm sorry. I know you're. Oh, yeah, we're, yeah, we're good. Just go back and listen. Listen to some other episodes. <laughs> <laughs> or don't. <laughs> oh man. No, I had a I had a blast talking to you guys. Um, man, interesting. I like hearing everybody's story. Um, I think this thing's gonna be epic. I mean, everybody's a fan. Everybody's got you know backgrounds in this. So I mean, it's I'm looking forward to it. And uh, like Carrie said, we'll share the hell out of it. So awesome. Thank you for having us, uh, Carrie and Aaron. We appreciate it. It's uh, yeah, it's, no it's problem. So we enjoy fun. it. It's just you know sharing the camaraderie, uh, you know the the love of the horror thing. It's one of the things I love about the community, and you guys are keeping it alive and well too, and we appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. We love talking to like the independent people. Here. It's great.